Nice to meet you, Michael. Nice to meet you as well, Christopher. Welcome back to FS Jam Podcast. Today we have Michael Chan. Hello, Michael. Hey, what's up? Happy to be here. Super excited to have you here. We've gotten to know each other really well over these last, I'd say, maybe six months or so throughout the React Podcast Discord. And before we get into the episode here, why don't you talk a little bit about what is the React Podcast Discord? React Podcast Discord, it's so funny. It started with Mighty Joe W, Joe Warren. And uh, he just hit me up on Twitter and he's like, hey, dude, I love the podcast, but like, you know, where's the community at? I want to like meet people and, you know, learn together and whatnot. I was like, there's none of that. It's just me in my office talking with folks and then like kind of blasting it to the universe. He's like, let's get this thing going. I had a Discord channel and uh, I was like, okay, you're going to be the first one. It's just going to be you and me here for a while. He's like, no, 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 no. And then he brought like so many of his friends from the React Dallas meetup, and I started inviting people just kind of in episodes, and it grew to be this really fun, little, warm community of people who just wanted to learn together. And I've been taking a little bit of a break from React Podcast right now just to kind of like get my bearings, kind of identify what the future should look like for the show. It's been really fun to just hang out with people. We've been learning a ton about technologies that people are interested in like 11 we've done a like mob jobs on 11 where we just jump in together and we're like hey we want to build this feature how do we do it nobody knows but we'll figure it out together it's just been a ton of fun stuff like that and you've been a part of that you've given some really great talks on storybook and redwood and i love being a part of a community of learners that is not judgy about each other's work, but really open to just learning from each other, experimenting, being wrong, changing direction, knowing that it's all part of the process. So that's that's a mouthful. But like, it's just a community of people who like to keep sharp, learn stuff that's not directly in their daily wheel set and um, hang out with people during this time where we don't get to hang out with people very much. Yeah, I think it's it was really timely because you know a lot of people are in this situation where they they needed some sort of connection and we can't really have like local meetups anymore so i felt that there is a real strong need for it and a lot of it has just kind of like popped up here and yeah i've gotten to meet like a lot of really cool people like ben myers is a good friend that i've made and he's going to be on the show it's really cool especially because as you say like you're kind of getting away from the React podcast, but you're you've built this other community in its in its place, which I think is like probably even more valuable than than just like as you were saying, doing this kind of like one to many broadcast. And how do you kind of think about how you are positioned now? Because as you say, this isn't really like a React thing anymore. You're like you're working on Eleven D, you're working on all this other stuff. So do you feel like you're kind of pivoting away from identifying with React? Oh man, just coming out the gates with the hard questions right there. Yeah, we go deep here. <laughs> yeah, not gonna let me off the hook. I love React. I think it's amazing. I think that there's still so much juice in React, and I really do think that. In the event that concurrent mode and all that it represents ever gets shipped, it's going to be a real game changer for the way that we build applications. 
And I don't mean that in a judgy way, like, hey, why isn't it shipped yet? Because it's a really freaking hard problem. And I know that the React Core team wants to get it right. But there is a tension there, right? And I think a lot of people are kind of defecting from React because it feels like it, we're, we're like lost in the weeds, right? And I don't know. We can talk about that. That's a, that's a big topic if we want to talk about that. But I am in no way defecting from React. I think that it is still today just the most impressive front-end framework. And it enables me to do work that I just, I just couldn't like five years ago. And I am in no way stepping away from that. But I think on the community side of things, it's like, I I didn't want to just have like a React community. I didn't want to, like, that's not something I was really interested in, in starting. There's plenty of React communities that have been together since day one. And I think one of my goals, just as, as a person, like before I started the React podcast, was to make sure that I was a capable developer outside of a single framework. You know, because I've, you know, I've seen a few at this point, right? Like I've done, I did a lot of PHP. I did a lot of like Rails, did some like JavaScript. I've used so many like CSS like frameworks. Like I can't even like tell you at this point, innumerable CSS frameworks. And I think that I want places that focus on principles, make sure that people can, you know, make that leap when they have to between, you know, this job and the other job or this technology and the other technology, because they invested in like in thinking, in like critical thinking skills that really transcend framework and allow you to be able to do anything. I mean, again, it's, you know, at this point, it's not even just about what I want. Like, I think it really represents the people that that are there and shaping it with the technologies that they find interesting. And every day I'm learning something new, which is, I mean, great for me. I love that. That's my happy place. I don't know if that answered the question, but not going away from React, but I have always wanted to be in a community that facilitates critical thinking and like broader technology understandings. One of my favorite ways currently to learn React, as someone who already knows it, is something that I think is a little bit controversial. Going onto websites that are built in React and reading their, is it stack traces or is it maps? Okay, yeah. Because obviously the JS code gets bundled down through Babel, but then you can still see their JSX and stuff and how their app is structured. It gives you a really good insight into how they actually built their React app. Interesting. What have been the most uh, fascinating like apps that you've spelunked, I guess, in that way? Sometimes it's like, I have this problem and I've seen that these also have it. And then you go onto their source code and you see that the letter source maps open and you're like, oh, that's how they fix that. That is super cool. That's a great idea. You could say it's like thieving work, thieving code off of closed source products. As long as you don't do it to Facebook, it's probably okay. Well, I mean, like, if they don't know how to, you know, uh, was it obscure their source maps, then uh, I guess shame on them. <laughs> That's a really good idea. I mean, like, I've not done that with React, but that is such a, a great way to work. I remember doing that voraciously when I was learning HTML and CSS. And I guess when JavaScript was still in the state that you could kind of like web inspect the source. So I mean, like, yeah, I think that's a great way to do that. If they're not blocking their source maps. Yeah. But the thing is, I don't even know what source maps are for. Does anyone know what they're for? I think they're intended as like a debugging tool. Everything gets bundled down and then the browser, you know, so the browser kind of gets the compressed version of it. And then you can link back to the source version of it. The source map, yeah. Yeah, so the so like an example that I have actually used, um, I haven't really done a lot of it with JavaScript, is with SAS files, you know, where the source is like completely different from the like output 
CSS. It allows you to kind of like jump back to like the, the, the line that the actual source is on. But yeah, that's a that's great. I might have to steal that and just be like, this is cool. What's what's Twitter doing with this? To be fair, I've tried it on a lot of smaller companies, but I don't know if you could do it on Twitter. Maybe. They're probably big enough that they have somebody dedicated to just uh, making sure that source maps don't accidentally go out into the world. Exactly, because it would be a pretty big security problem for a social network. All right, so you have joined us here today at the FS Jam podcast to talk about a podcast that you did now. It's almost been exactly a year now. This is a, I kind of wanted to get you on as like the year anniversary almost that ended up working out really well for this podcast you did with Adam Wathen called React is Not a Rails Competitor. And if people have been listening to this show for a while, they'll probably heard me mention this before. Even Dom mentioned this on his episode, and I've referenced it on other podcasts I've gone on as well, because it really was pivotal for me in terms of orienting myself in this larger world of web development and just understanding like my place in it and that I had come at it from this really strong front-end perspective and that there was this whole other world of people who were coming at it from a completely different perspective. So first, how did that conversation like initiate originally? Because you guys both host your own podcast and you did kind of like a crossover thing. So how did that come about? <laughs> and that's a funny story. Like, I don't even remember exactly what the tweet was, but I tweeted something about... Oh, it was about how Create React app is like a great way to like spin up a front end or something like that, you know? Yeah, that's right. The Create React app is a great way to make half of an application. Something like that. Like, I don't know. Every once in a while, you know what it is? It's on Saturdays. What happens is like, you know, I've been like, I've bottled up all my like frustration for the week. And then on Saturday, I'll wake up and I'll have some like really like salacious, like hot take that gets me in trouble. And then I don't know, it's probably something like super subversive mentally going on that I'm trying to like disengage from my my weekend. And so I'll say something stupid on Twitter. But yes, that was the hot take. Adam has a really great eye for a story i've always admired that about him and his show full stack radio because it seems like he's always on top of like whatever a like an upcoming trend or conversation will be and so he invited me onto the show and i'm a fan and so i invited him onto my show as well yeah the conversation just kind of was like why isn't it there yet you know why if i was an entrepreneur and building an application and building a team up today would I still reach for something like Rails or Laravel or some type of traditional, I mean, traditional, like Web 2.0, like framework? You know, it's crazy that it's it's only been a year. Like, I feel like, I feel like it's been longer than that. So I was, I, I thought you were going to say two years or like a year and a half or something. I think that what we've seen in the last year, and I'm sure we'll get to this, has filled in so many of the gaps and i think that you know serverless is really like finally becoming approachable for a lot of people that's been like a you know seven year or more journey i don't know a lot of those things really weren't ready yet and you know doing education i know that like one of the biggest questions that people have is like okay like i think that i understand everything about react except now i have this create react app and i don't know what to do next do i connect it to firebase what is a database do i need a like real-time database do i like what's a relational database like no sequel how do i connect it to a no sequel database like it just kind of like 
create react app just shuttles you up this cliff right like you're at the highest point of like you know front-end web technology and then like it just leaves you right at the the precipice over like just this this wide expanse of ocean and you're like do i jump off or just like turn back around and like you know learn the front-end stack from scratch again like yeah so i don't know it's um that's a tirade i i'm sure we could move on from that but yeah i think that's kind of the the idea of like hey like we've only gotten halfway there so far and that I think is a frustrating experience for a lot of people who want to take what they've learned and actually transition that into a product versus education in you know, Rails and Laravel is significantly different. By the time you finish a book, like you've built an application and deployed it to the world. And there's fewer questions about like, oh, okay, well, is AWS the best infrastructure? Or like, should I learn Azure? It's just like, hey, it's a Postgres database. You can put it wherever you want. But like, you know, we put it on Heroku because it, or we used Heroku because it's easy and free. But like, it's a Postgres database that you manage. <laughs> like, And so we have not gotten there yet. Not yet. And it's not that it's impossible, but we haven't really gotten there yet. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's great to, to hear you try and like make the make the the pitch because like we've you have no no idea how many times i've like told that exact same thing on like my own podcast you know we're trying to explain what what this whole thing is and, and why it's important and i'm really glad that you hit a, hit on all the database stuff because that's usually you know one of the first things we talk about is that you know there's this whole world of databases that is super consequential to your app and that create react app as you say has absolutely no opinions about and so by giving you a lot of those opinions around the database, that gets you a huge chunk of the way there. But you can make opinions about the database that doesn't necessarily lock you in also. It's about making an opinionated choice, but still one that you can opt out of or that swap out or that kind of thing. I had an episode of, of React Podcast with Tom Preston Warner, who you're great friends with. He used terms that I'd not actually heard before, but I was familiar with the concept, the the idea of bundling and unbundling. He was using that to describe Redwood. They're bundling these like disparate pieces of front-end architecture and infrastructure together to be able to, to make applications. And I think that that is great. And actually more so because they're integrating the Prisma side of it, which is roughly equivalent to like an ORM from Rails. So all of these things are starting to come together. There is still that very confusing piece left of what the database actually is under the hood and that is such a hard thing because there's so much hype about new wave databases and you know being like edge ready and a bunch of like killer terms that i'm sure make all these companies a ton of money in their vc pitch decks but are so confusing to like people like us who just want to make something so that part of it is still a little bit frustrating but i, I feel like redwood has done as far as I can tell, the best job so far of like making these things feel like a cohesive framework. One of the things that I always wonder, and I bring up a lot, the concept of everything is just a CMS to a certain extent. Any type of database work you do, you're just a fancy CMS at the end of the day. How many React applications could you bundle down to, it's a CMS for X? All of them, right? Like. Like at the end of the day, you have an Excel spreadsheet and like a cute UI on top of it. Like that is web development. I mean, I'd be hard pressed to find a like productive example of anything that we do that isn't effectively just like a cute like front for a Excel document. There was a tweet going around maybe a couple years ago, the notion of every SaaS being one of the four primary Microsoft Office products and knowing which one you are 
is like pretty key to like focusing on your market. Word, PowerPoint, Excel, and Outlook. Would that be the fourth one? Yeah, probably. Yeah, I think so. There, there may be more or, but yeah, that's, that's the idea. I mean, Word, PowerPoint, and Excel being like pretty much the, the key ones. But yeah, Outlook too. I mean, like you, you look at superhuman that you know there's there's a huge market for email clients right which is you know outlook and products like Basecamp and whatnot or like fancy word anything that ever shows a list of things or people is excel and it's nuts <laughs> like well there's people who actually make websites now with Airtable. they take Airtable and then they use that as like a headless cms and to chris's point and then just import the cells and make those you know Make that your HTML or whatever. I don't know how they actually do it, how they do the ETL. I suppose you could do it a bunch of ways. I have done that and it's amazing. It's great. Every year for my partner's birthday, I create for her a like a website and I let people kind of like leave nice notes, send in a picture that's on their phone of her, like, you know, whatever. And I always try to do it in a technology that I'm uncomfortable with or like unfamiliar with as a way of learning. Um, and it's a fun kind of, you know, annual or semi-annual project. And this last time I did it in Airtable, I just did like Airtable and uh, I was going to use something else, but Airtable is so good. You set up your database, you put your fields in there and then like you literally just like click a button and it's like, I want a form for this that represents this data and I want like a list view like a, a list and show view so people can like see the list click in something and then you know see that thing and so I just literally pushed two buttons on an air table and like the thing was done for me I just shared a link people could write stuff in put images in it's wild like it's super fun stuff super fun stuff we we're like so so there on the low code movement for sure I remember it must have been a year ago now when everybody was talking in Gatsby on how to use an Excel sheet for your CMS. So a Google Excel sheet as your CMS. It's just getting to a point where everything is just a CMS. And that's what I really like about Prisma. It just makes databases like a CMS. I never have to worry about SQL or anything like that. Prisma is the way to go. It is interesting. So with Prisma, Prisma then would become your integration layer between. So I have I've not actually used Prisma save for the tutorial in Redwood. So does that become kind of like your integration layer between like multiple services? So if you wanted to connect your Google Sheets, but then also you have data from an Airtable and all that kind of stuff. If you wanted to query all of that in one place, you would do that in Prisma? Not necessarily at all, really. It's more just to your database. Okay, got it. You have a Postgres database, you have a model, and Prisma 2 is going to give you a functional way to basically pull and push data to your database. Prisma 1 was through GraphQL. Sad, dead hero. Prisma 2 doesn't use it. It's more programmatic. I think that's the right word. But the next move on the industry is GraphQL. GraphQL is not fully there and i'm sure anthony knows how much graphql has got still to grow <laughs> graphql is to me just like this is where all the interesting stuff is happening but um this doesn't really have anything to do with the with the database i don't think because well i mean it doesn't it doesn't because it gives you a way to talk to your database but like you were saying 
Chris, Prisma doesn't do Airtable, you know, like it, Prisma only does relational databases. So if you want to mediate between all these other services, that's where GraphQL is actually super interesting. And that's why I think even though Prisma was once doing the GraphQL stuff, Redwood has now taken on the GraphQL stuff themselves. And so they're going to become a more swappable piece than I think Prisma will be, but it's kind of going to depend on how all these things develop over the years. And there's two models to GraphQL that I think is very much in the industry right now. Is the Gatsby model, where you just put in all the API sources you want through like plugins, like an Airtable plugin or a Contentful plugin. Or there's the more managed solution of GraphQL. For example, in my company, we talk to Stripe through a custom GraphQL interface. We talk to Prisma through a custom GraphQL interface. And then it's almost bleeding edge technology where you can turn any REST client into a GraphQL client. And even SOAP, you can turn a SOAP API into GraphQL with GraphQL mesh. It's pretty crazy. That is really the magic of GraphQL, right? I was confusing it earlier, like, you know, with what Prisma is designed for. And I think that's maybe part of the problem kind of in, in this like, like full stack. Can we replace these full stack frameworks with React yet? And I think part of the problem still is that confusion where these pieces are becoming so nuanced that it's like, I don't even know what they do anymore. From Prisma 1, the separation of GraphQL and kind of like Prisma 2, what does that mean for me? Like, why do I care? Like, I just want data. And now I have two layers of abstraction between me and my database. Like, at what point do I just burn it all down and like just do SQL queries from React server components and that's it? <laughs> I've been doing React for like four or five years now, but I'm still like, What's concurrent mode? Give me a use case for concurrent mode. People have that turned on right now. What do they do with it? Just don't know. Just never got to that point yet. But that's the thing about React. You can skim the surface so fast and get up and going. But then to learn all the hooks and how to use all the hooks properly in the right context, that's going to take you years. <laughs> it's challenging, right? Because I think front-end frameworks, I think, have not really adapted from the early marketing pitches all of the front-end framework like front pages look at rails look at laravel look at like you know the front-end pages of like all of these things they are communicating the value of like what you're going to get by using using the framework they get a high degree of abstraction look at react look at angular look at ember the front page is like them showing you the three easiest possible components that you could possibly build in a front end framework ever. Things that you could have done in like jQuery and maybe four more lines of code. They have not evolved past that point seven years ago where they were all just pitching on like ours is the easiest framework to set up. I think that that's bullshit, right? Like in the past seven years, like we should have moved away from that to like, hey, building applications is hard. This is going to help you in these high-level ways. And you're going to have to read the docs to figure out how to do it. <laughs> oh, man. Now I'm in it. So this is where I, this is where I get in trouble time. Read the effing docs is one of my favorite rants of all time. <laughs> Wait, I've just got a side thing to say. You say the React website is like, here's how to do it easy. They're still using React components and classes on their homepage. Yeah, it's true. It's true. On the React homepage is React classes. 
Who uses classes these days? Yeah, it's why, like, and so I know that there is, like, and I don't want to discount the incredible work that's going on behind the scenes because I know that they've been doing so much user research and testing into, like, Docs 2.0. However, this is where front end is super weird and confusing for people. Am I supposed to use hooks or am I supposed to use classes? This has been kind of a refrain from educators for a really long time of, like, I'm teaching only hooks because I feel like that's what we're supposed to be doing. But then everybody goes to the docs and it's like, wait, the front page of the docs says that I'm supposed to do this other thing. Don't believe the docs, I guess, except for when you're supposed to like actually learn something and then go to the docs, but only go to this ha like subset of the docs. And again, there's some amazing stuff happening. However, I think it's kind of a bad time right now. Like if you want to be a front end developer. I live this. I mean, I, I live this in, in my boot camps. Like, so, so what you're saying, like I can... I can testify to the to the truth of it to like a very very strong degree in the sense that we learned hooks first like our first exposure to react day one was use state so it's going to be your mental model going into it and i think that's great and i think that is the right choice because the react community seems to have collectively decided that hooks is is the way to go and i think you agree with that as well but the problem then becomes okay you learn that then they're like, by the way, here's this entirely different way to do it. And this is actually going to be the vast majority of the legacy code you're going to work with. And now you have to understand as you're learning it, how these two things relate to each other in highly subtle and not obvious ways. And then instead of having this like hook thing that you're just kind of confused, but can work with, you have these two things and you don't understand anything. Like I waffle a little bit because I don't want to also, I've said a number of like curse words at this point is that fine in this show should i stop or yeah no you're good you can, you can swear I, i'll probably edit them out but I, I like the passion so feel free to let them fly okay i can i can get 90 percent of the passion without uh without the swearing so um <laughs> i feel like i straddle this line a lot where i am such a huge super fan of everybody on the react core team the work they're doing is groundbreaking it has been groundbreaking since day one and i am just in love with what they're doing and the way that they're doing it and the way that they're managing it i'm so impressed by it daily but at the same time react exceeded all of our expectations for adoption and I have a huge amount of compassion for how freaking difficult it is for a new React developer to like get anything done. And I think that React, as it stands today, is a very difficult framework to learn because of exactly what you said. Yeah, you go through a course and you learn hooks, but like you're going to join an app, a percentage of the code base is not going to be in hooks. And you're going to have to learn all of those boundaries and you're going to have to learn classes just to handle those use cases for things that you don't even understand the boundaries of why it's done in a class and not a hook anyway. And it sounds like, oh, okay, well, that's part of like a progressive journey of being a React developer, but it's really not. Like if you're pitching yourself as a React developer, you're expected to know these things. It's very difficult. I have a lot of empathy for people trying to figure it out now because you really have to know all of the APIs in order to have a job writing React. The crossover is so, so strong. For example, we move from classes to what? Are they functional components or are they anonymous functions that in TypeScript you return React element? I don't know. Even Kent C. Dodds, the legend, wrote a blog post on how to write a React component in TypeScript in the last two weeks. And this is 2021. 
And it was deeply contested, too. Read the thread and everyone's like, that's not how I should do it. Like, nobody agrees. It's a big challenge. And yeah, like you said, the API differences. React isn't built with TypeScript. And so, like, those types aren't maintained by React. They're maintained on definitely typed. And so a lot of the language is, like, legacy language, you know? So, like, for a while, it was, like, SFC was the type for components. And and now React has, I think, moved the language, at least on the docs, to be component is a function. And then class component is the class version of the component with that like legacy API. But yeah, yeah, you, you add TypeScript onto there and it's like the mess is even worse now. <laughs> Please, someone tell me the correct type for child. I don't know. Does anybody? With the exception of react which i jumped on early i am a late adopter and i've used typescript for probably four years now in production code but i literally only use it to type props i needed something to do that job for me and that's it i just have interfaces that type the props and that's been great for me but let's not get started on typescript why are you writing types when it's obviously interfaces i don't know all these things are highly contested but I think my favorite experience when you go, I'm going to learn testing. Oh, one plus one equals two. That's your first jest test. Now do everything yourself. <laughs> like that's the same thing with like, you know, React. Here's a grading component, right? And it's like, okay. Like it's tough, right? Because I'm sure that you experienced this on the, you know, doing the Redwood docs, Anthony. Like, actually, I'm going to leave this with something that I, you know, it's like, I don't even know if DHH actually said this. David. Heinemeyer Hansen of, you know, Rails and Basecamp fame. But there was an interview I listened to and it was right around the, it was about the Node.js and IO.js split. He was saying that he does not envy the responsibility that everyone has in trying to like bring those things back together. I've never been able to find this interview. So I think it might be part of like a fever dream and I'm just attributing it to DHH. But he also said that which is something that I'd not put together, this notion that the closer you get to the user, the harder development becomes because so much of it is like, that's the domain that your product is like solving for the customer, right? Like we talked earlier about like, well, everything's basically like one of the word products, but how does it differentiate? It's that user experience, how you get from point A to point B, the subset of customers that you've decided to service, their specific paths of doing a task. And the closer you get to the user, the more decisions you have to make as a developer and have to like live by, you know, you spin up a new Rails app and it's like they put the lists in like tables. The, the notion of like front end and react is like just like hilarious. It's like it literally looks like an Excel spreadsheet when you, you know, Rails new. I just remember that really sticking with me that the closer you get to the user, the more difficult these decisions become. And I think we experience that pain in how difficult it is to write a useful front-end tutorial because we have to tell people things in the abstract of like, oh, you can build a component like this as opposed to you can add a new record for a user end-to-end with this. Like it's a totally different way of communicating to people. And I think that like as an industry, we just haven't evolved yet to how to communicate to people effectively in that way. And I don't know even know what it looks like because at the end of the day, like people don't like like strength training. And I think the best way to probably learn front-end development is to build 100 components and wake up and before you start your day, like start with some challenge of like, okay, well, how would I build this component? Do it and be like, okay, cool. Like that's, that's one more thing that I know how to do. That's exhausting. Like we don't take that approach. 
Yeah, I agree that as you get closer and closer to the users, it gets harder and harder because you're increasing the space of potential edge cases as well and differences of not only experience and knowledge, but even access to equipment and tech and, and all this sort of stuff. And as you get further and further out, you have to, at a certain point, make decisions for the largest possible use case and just say, I can't cover every possible use case. It's just you can never do it. So it becomes a, a kind of mindset shift in, in that respect. Yeah. And it, Christopher, like what you were talking about, like the, the layers of integration, right? Like, you know, you have React and then you have TypeScript on top of that and the API that TypeScript provides to type the React components, which isn't bundled together, has different language, which you have to like interpret as a developer. You have like, I don't know, maybe you use some off the shelf UI library and you use some like off the shelf, you know, React querying system. And then that uses, you know, it hits GraphQL, but that GraphQL is building queries through Prisma and like the graphs of technologies that you have to be aware of is becoming so huge. And then, I mean, we haven't even talked about the complexity of offline mode and web workers and all of these things just don't exist for that server-side CMS. You're going to send a request, the server's going to do some stuff, and it's going to send a response back. That boundary is like so freaking clean. It's like just delightful, right? And like, yeah, you can't do stuff offline, but also like you gained simplicity for it. And like right now, it just feels like we're kind of in the muck because it's everyone is telling front-end developers, this is the most important thing. Speed is the most important thing. Like rendering performance is the most important thing. Layout th thrashing is the most important thing. Like first contentful paint, offline, like, you know, web worker use. Types make everything better for your users. It's like, there's a crowd of people like just behind you every time like you're just like trying to like i don't know like put someone's like middle name inside of a form field people are it just seems like there's a crowd of people yelling at you and it's just it's a tough space to be web workers i still feel like i've low level ptsd from when your web worker just decides to stop rendering the website completely and you're like, why are you doing that? And it's like, I don't know. You deleted the content that I, I'm trying to render. The thing is, you're like, oh, yeah, web workers. They're like this futuristic thing. And But even, I think it was on front end happy hour someone who works at netflix trying to wrangle the service worker at netflix is like your worst fear is just like your service worker just blocking out 20 percent of the users forever because that's how browsers work yeah i mean it's really scary and like i mean I, I i always like to say to like lean on the browsers as much as you can but you know the more you do that you know you have these edge cases where it's like now the browser subtly changed and you can't update something for a good chunk of your users for some indiscernible reason and you're not really sure how to do it that's a bad day at work a really bad day one topic i'd like to get your take on before we close out here is ESM, ECMAScript modules. You're, I know you're gonna be giving a talk about this soon, so you've been doing a little bit of research on these. So I'd be curious to get your kind of high level views on why these are important and what they're gonna kind of change in JavaScript world. I'm a huge fan of the way ES modules, JavaScript modules, like whatever we wanna call them, the way that they work. Like a huge, 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 huge fan. Like I'm, I'm grateful to everyone who is involved in in making those what they are. JavaScript is not an easy language to create new features in. And dang, I feel like ES modules are just fire. I love them. I haven't 
used modules in many other languages. So I'm just going to say that. My experience has mostly been in Ruby. I think the thing that I really like about ES modules, they feel very browsery, right? Like you, so you have the static imports, but you have also the dynamic imports, the named and kind of like default export. There's like a lot of features that you can, you know, utilize there for some really like nice expressiveness in code. I think a lot of times we underutilize a lot of those features. I think it's getting better, but I think that especially in React, I think that there's this one ES lint rule that I've always raged against is the one component per file, which I think is just absolutely harmful because there's so many reasons to put multiple components in a single file. I mean, especially when you, you know, think about context and react, like, I don't even know how you would make a useful context module without having like multiple exports from that module. But anyway, I digress. I think that there's a lot of features there that can be used to make your code more discernible, have it communicate better, especially with the editors like VS Code that give you a lot of those kind of like it uses the TypeScript engine under the hood and kind of kind of like understand all of these relationships. I think ES module bundlers are getting better at tree shaking. You know, every six months, it seems like there's huge advancements in, you know, bundling speed, tree shaking, you know, the browsers are getting better, faster support for them. I'm just really excited. I think that it's been a really long time coming and the API is really good. And, you know, the fact that we're seeing bundlers that are, you know, starting to get a little bit more out of the way and really using ES modules as a first class instead of one of the many ways that you can bundle modules is exciting to see. And I, I think it'll be really cool to start just using them in the browser. And I, there's warts still, but like seeing all the the work that's happening that ES build is like just wild to see like how much faster that is than all of our like traditional build steps in the past that have gotten kind of unruly and disappointing. I guess that's a long way to say that I'm kind of excited about all of it, like seeing that be realized in the browser and see the browser become a more capable platform that we can target directly is like awesome. Did you ever use Requat? Is it required JS? That brings me some bad times. Downloading people's jQuery files, putting them into required JS. And then just as I'm thinking about that, like that was really bad. You now have the future where you could just import a URL into things like Snowpack. How have times changed? Yeah, it's really, it's really amazing. I You talking about your pain in require, like I remember very specifically just spending weeks of my life with that Target logo. Is that what the logo was? There was a Target and it was just like looming over me. Like I just could not get out from under the weight of this Target. Like I was trying to like read these APIs and understand what the hell I was like trying to do. I knew that there was like way smarter people than me that, that this was like easy for, but I am very grateful that I don't have projects that use that anymore because it was very difficult as a newcomer to like front end JavaScript to understand. It was, especially when you're using PHP. So you're using a bit of PHP, bit of required JS, you know, to get your popper and I don't know what else, like bootstrap, popper. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bootstrap JavaScript. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. A leaflet, leaflet for maps before Google Maps was pretty good. Can't remember many more off the top of my head. Oh, definitely a carousel one. You can't forget the carousels. Had to have a carousel. Yeah, yeah. Slick slider. Yeah, no, I, I was just always just put it on the window. It's fine. It's going to be fine. <laughs> Live to fight another day. And now we're on the other side. AMD. Is it AMD modules or a thing of the past? 
Yeah, that was like a module protocol that RequireJS used, right? Before CommonJS? AMD was asynchronous modules, something like that. So it was kind of split between like there was the browser ones and there was kind of like the, the nodey ones. So AMD was like the browser one. I think that's the one that kind of has ended up mostly morphing into I think what we have now. I could be wrong about that, but I think that was kind of the story. These are all things we can include in the show notes for people who want to go down these rabbit holes. We're all about out of time here. So thank you so much, Michael, for being here. I've really enjoyed getting to know you through the Discord that we've been on, and I've really enjoyed getting to present there and getting to meet all the people there. So thanks for putting it together, and I look forward to continuing to participate and contribute. Yeah, me too. Me too. I guess the final question, the rhetorical question to end the episode would be, how do you lay out your file structure in React? <laughs> um... I have a modules directory and I put every single module in there and they all have like a mix of, you know, named and default exports. Um, I don't use any globals in there and it's flat. It's just a big ass directory of, uh, of modules. I don't care if they're just JavaScript or React or whatever. They're just in that directory. <laughs> Bold. <laughs> which also uh include your contact info so people can get in touch with you oh yeah so uh i am chantastic most places uh my last name chan tastic and yeah so i'm on like twitter i mean i have an instagram account but it's just like silly like one-line drawings of like s things that my kids say but then on uh, YouTube, I've been doing some stuff. So YouTube slash C slash Chantastic. If you want to join our Discord, it's uh, events.lunch.dev slash Discord. I know it's kind of like a long URL. And then, yeah, I'm, I'm continuing to develop courses. As you men mentioned, Anthony, like I'm doing a course on ES modules right now at lunch.dev. Yeah, it's kind of me about the internet right now. Thank you for your time. Thanks a lot. Catch you guys next time. Thanks, guys. people get out here and rant <laughs> i really hope that this doesn't get me in trouble but uh you know let it be